Greetings. This is Douglas Kimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Joining me on today's podcast is Yiting Liu and Grady Burkett. Yiting uh, is a member of the international team here at Diamond Hill, focusing on financials and other international companies. Grady Burkett is a portfolio manager for our international and global strategies, and they are here to share their thoughts on the volatility that we've seen in the first two days of this week, the impact to their markets and some of their holdings, uh, as well as an overview of the coronavirus impact both in China as well as globally. Thank you and enjoy. So Grady and Yiting, thank you for joining me today uh, and jumping on in, on such short notice. So Yiting, we'll start with you. Um, let's just broadly talk about, you know, what's your perspective on the coronavirus and then how are you thinking about it from an investment standpoint? Now, on the demand side, you essentially have had a halt in essentially domestic consumption in China, which temporarily wiped out pretty much demands for many sectors, such as entertainment, transportation, hospitality, retail, etc. On the supply side, even now with people gradually going back to work in China, you still have a combination of labor shortages, logistics bottlenecks, and factories operating well below capacity, which continue to bring disruptions to the very kind of complex and integrated global supply chain that we have. Uh, of course, the longer the disruptions, the more likely these businesses in China, especially the smaller ones with higher leverage, are likely to suffer. But inside China is a constant and delicate balance between containing the virus and ensuring no reinfection mm -hmm. and, you know, at some point resuming back to normal economic activity. So it's a delicate balance between those two. Now, I have no idea how long or in what shape the recovery will take place, whether it's V-shape, U-shape or any other shape. But I do know that the Chinese government is super determined to keep the virus under control, even if it comes at the expense of potentially collapsing economic activity. Now, with, with one party or one regime in China, you don't get a fresh start with a new party or a new person coming into the office. So in a sense, the Chinese government or a Communist Party has unlimited liability when it comes to how they handle um, or control the epidemic and how they deal with the economic consequences that will ensue. So I do have faith that the virus will be contained and managed within China sooner or later. Now, in terms of companies that we own that are exposed to the Chinese consumption longer term, again, the outlook and prospect of China's rising middle class towards higher quality goods and services on a five to 10 year horizon didn't change at all in my mind over the last two months since the breakout of coronavirus. So I'm not concerned about the long-term prospects of the companies that we own with exposure to China that have secular growth tailwinds. And so that means this could be a buying opportunity. That is Because cool. in our mind, the five-year thesis really hasn't changed. This is a, a short-term tragic blip on the radar, but longer term, we think that, that these companies are still viable. That's correct. So, Yiting, thanks for that on China. Let's let's expand it a little bit more. Let's look globally. And, and really what I think has triggered uh, what's gone on this week is um, the virus expanding beyond China and how that's impacting what we're thinking about the markets. Yeah, so I guess as the number of confirmed cases continue to rise outside of China, 
the potential for a global pandemic can't be completely ignored anymore. Um, however, the range of outcome here is actually extremely wide because we're not dealing with one country anymore, as complex as China may be. Uh, we're dealing with several or many countries. And you have to understand these economies outside of China are vastly different from one another. Um, South Korea's economic significance to the world and how it's integrated to the global supply chain is very different from that of Iran. Mm -hmm. right? So, of course, you know, I, I think the worst case scenario that everyone is fear for um, is essentially countries aren't able to cope with and contain the virus um, outside of China, which then truly becomes a global pandemic. Maybe borders will be shut down. Maybe travels are restricted. Maybe trades are completely disrupted globally and then leads to a huge slowdown, if not halt, in all economic activities around the world and potentially induce a global recession. Um, so I essentially just outlined there for you a doomsday scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't know if any of that is going to happen, but that's just to make a few assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. Let's assume no meaningful improvement in the recovery rate of people who've been diagnosed with coronavirus, even though out of more than 80,000 people who've been confirmed with coronavirus now, more than 30,000 have already recovered. But let's just assume no meaningful improvement in recovery rates. And that's also assume no prospect of a vaccine in terms of you know treating or immunized coronavirus will ever be developed, right? Mm -hmm. So then, again, which all eventually leads to uh, the assumption that we do have a global pandemic on hand, which again is an if, right? Right. But but let's just assume that that is happening. Even if that were the case, a global recession may not automatically ensue because it depends on so many things, right? It depends on which countries are implicated, mm -hmm. right? Are they off enough economic significance to the world? How are the virus or crisis are being handled in different parts of the country or, or in the world, sorry, mm -hmm. by the different countries, which, of course, differ vastly in terms of their resources, their preparedness, their quality of healthcare systems, all these things, right? And it also depends on how porous their borders are and if um, and to the extent that travel bans will be put in place. Hence why the range of outcome for um, how coronavirus spreads outside of China and the potential economic implications, it's just so wide and pretty much unpredictable. So Grady, I'll turn to you uh, and ask you to talk a little bit about uh, the international portfolios that we're managing, you know, how we're positioned and, you know, what we're thinking about the last couple of days. The international portfolio uh, has experienced uh, declines over the last couple of weeks, uh, along with the broader markets. And we've actually seen a pretty decent decline in portfolio value in a fairly short period of time. So uh, we appreciate the opportunity to talk to our clients about what's going on right now. Um, now, of course, our portfolio is really just a collection of businesses. Uh, some of these businesses are going to be more impacted by the coronavirus uh, than other businesses are. And for the most part, we're seeing bigger declines in cyclical businesses. Uh, companies with significant exposure to China and Southeast Asia are also seeing stock price declines and companies that earn their profits by facilitating travel. So the places you would expect to see uh, weakness, certainly fundamental weakness in the future, we're seeing declines in the stock prices, uh, you know, reflecting that expectation. So of the 45 companies we own, um, a decent number have, have experienced um, double-digit declines, 
uh, in just a couple of weeks. Um, and looking at these businesses that have, we have extremely high conviction uh, that each of them will weather the economic impact associated with the coronavirus just fine. So none of the company's balance sheets are shaky, all of the business models are sustainable, and all generate substantial through cycle free cash flow. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. uh, Grupo Airport del Sureste, or Azur as I prefer <laughs> uh, to call it, is a Mexico-based airport operator, and it has key airports in Cancun, Puerto Rico, and Colombia. Um, so it's seen a pretty big hit to its market valuation in just a couple of trading days. Um, but this company is really just a collection of little monopolies. So if you want to fly to Cancun from Ohio, you'll be landing at their airport. And if you decide to buy a snack while you're at their airport, uh, Azer will get a cut of that purchase. Uh, so the business has grown very nicely over the long period of time, thanks in part to the fact that more and more people are flying through its airports. And also, on average, people are spending more money at the airports and shops and restaurants that are there. Um, so the coronavirus will definitely lead to some near-term impact to Azer's financial results. That's almost certain. Um, still, I find it absurd to think about how much value has been taken off of its market capitalization in just a couple of days. Um, and I lose no sleep at night uh, when I see Azure's stock price decline. In fact, I start to think about ways we could potentially buy more of these types of businesses mm -hmm. when we see these types of, of is short-term issues. Um, so, you know, what are we doing? You know, what did we do in the last couple of days without getting into too many details? But, you know, how are we attacking the market? I talked to, to John McLean briefly about, you know, the high yield market and what we're seeing. And it was just opportunity after opportunity. Um, are you seeing that same kind of, of opportunity to be adding to positions that you like uh, or initiating new positions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, rapid stock price declines generated from these types of exogenous events are the, the situations that we like because there's not a fundamental issue for it. We, we, we're confident the world goes through these events over and over and over again, and we're confident it will come out the other side. And so valuations get, just get more attractive mm -hmm. um, in, in, from our perspective. Um, but of course, there's an important point. We need to have capital to deploy right. to take advantage of these situations. And um, so that, that raises a side question of how we think about cash in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, we prefer the international strategy to be as close to fully invested as possible. And there's a simple reason for this. Uh, we're business owners and we have very long-term time horizons. And we want to maximize long-term returns for our clients without accepting excessive business risk. Um, so currently, we can only earn about 1% or 2% max uh, with cash. Right. And the least attractive equity we hold in the portfolio, we believe will generate a much higher long-term return than this. So we generally hold very little cash. Um, now, this time around, we were a little bit lucky. Yeah. Uh, we have a pretty deliberate process, and uh, it, we just happen to have a little bit more cash on hand than we typically uh, would hold. And so what we've done is we've just been buying little bits here and there and taking that cash level down a bit um, to what we would think is a normal level. So on Monday, we woke up Monday morning and, <laughs> you know, I, I'm actually start watching it Sunday night because I'm watching Asia. Right. And then Europe opens while I should be asleep, you know, and I wake up and, uh, and I just noticed that a lot of stuff was trading off. And um, we had some really nice business in the portfolio selling down five, six, seven percent. 
And, um, you know, I emailed my colleagues and I said, hey, what do you think about buying some of these businesses? And I just listed off four companies that we really have high conviction in, really good, durable businesses, happen to be a little bit cyclical, some of them. And uh, so we added a little bit to these these four businesses. This, another thing, we didn't feel like we needed to look outside the portfolio uh, mm-hmm. because some of our highest conviction businesses were already on sale. So we right. didn't feel like we needed to look outside the portfolio at all. Um, then on Tuesday, we saw another pretty broad <laughs> sell-off, and we bought more shares in another business we already own. And this particular company um, has substantial cash on its balance sheet. It's a free cash flow machine. And so I don't really need to worry about whether it can survive some sort of economic downturn, regardless of, the, the, of what causes that economic downturn. So as that business gets cheaper, it's not terribly hard to decide to, to add a little bit more mm-hmm. to that particular holding. Um, so then this morning, we woke up. And we saw another, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit more of a decline. And um, and we saw some really good businesses trading down just a bit more. And again, uh, we added the three uh, three additional names this morning. And these are all very stable businesses that are just happen to be, be falling with the market right now. Um, you know, we haven't been adding a lot, uh, but we are taking some advantage of the declines in stock prices. And, uh, you know, I don't know if stock prices will decline further over the next few weeks. Uh, E-Ting doesn't know what will happen with stock prices in the next few weeks. Uh, but we do currently own shares of a lot of companies we'd be happy to buy more of uh, as the prices get cheaper. And there are some companies we keep an eye on that we might add to the portfolio if valuations become uh, compelling enough. So Grady and Eating, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'll close with one last question. You know, what should our clients be thinking about? And what are we, you know, what do we want to communicate to them and let them know? Well, as I mentioned, we have been deploying cash and if we did run out of cash, or let's say in the future uh, crisis scenario, we did not have cash on hand, we might still redeploy into businesses that had seen their stock prices decline substantially based on some crisis. In this case, it would be based on the coronavirus. And um, importantly, this type of activity can lead to some short-term underperformance. There can definitely be some short-term pain, um, but we're always optimizing to generate uh, the best 10-year returns we can possibly generate um, given a, an acceptable level of risk. And so if we feel like we're making decisions that improve the long-term returns of the portfolio, uh, we're going to make that potential trade-off between short-term underperformance and long-term returns. So we want to keep our clients uh, focused on the fact that the portfolio has 45 businesses that generate cash flow, they pay dividends, they reinvest excess profits. And importantly, in times like these, uh, we also want to emphasize that lower equity prices typically lead to higher long-term returns. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for joining me. I appreciate your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again, hopefully with with better news, uh, with a little bit better of a market. Thank you. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.